Well, good morning. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Uh, so, especially before COVID, in churches all over America, people would gather in church basements, uh, and they would drink stale coffee, and they would sit on uncomfortable aluminum chairs, and they would sit in a circle with other people, and one at a time, they would say these words. Some of them for the first time, some of them for the tenth or the hundredth or thousandth time. Hi. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. And then everyone else in the circle would look back and say, Hi, John, in a way to kind of congratulate them. Uh, not congratulating them that they are an alcoholic, but congratulating them that they just made an incredibly important step. By them admitting that they have a problem, by them admitting that they need help, by them admitting, according to the first step of AA, that they are powerless that their life has become unmanageable and that there's no way that they on their own effort can make it better and their only chance is if they're able to admit and get help from others and to get help from God. Uh, there's a writer and author I like and he says that AA is such a beautiful place because uh, he describes it as a place where there's just no pretense. I mean, there's no faking, there's no lying. He says it's a place completely, completely free of BS. It's a place where people are real. Uh, on the other hand, if you go upstairs in most churches on Sunday mornings, uh, you find people whose lives look incredibly manageable. Uh, they, they just look, they look good. You know, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're polite and they're reasonable. There's no couples that are screaming at each other over the pews. There's no parents that are yelling at their kids or slapping them. There, you know, no one's looking at pornography on their phone. No one's hungover from the night before. No one's in the middle of their eating disorder. No one's ordering things uh, to purchase that they can't really afford. Everyone just looks like they have their life all together, which begs the question, is that real? Is that a place where everyone is being authentic? Is that a place free of BS? Is that how they really are? Or is there a part where they're just faking it a little bit? Where they're making themselves seem like they're better than they really are? And don't get me wrong, I get the, the, the idea of making yourself look like you're better than you really are. Uh, this past week, uh, I was uh, at my house and my wife had to go run an errand, so I had to be uh, home alone with my kids for a little while and my daughter had to do some homework and my son needed to take a bath and there were some dishes that needed to be done. I was like, okay, I got this super dad time, let's take care of everything. And then all of a sudden, I heard my daughter start screaming and I ran downstairs and there was water just flooding through our kitchen floor and so through our kitchen ceiling. So I ran back upstairs and my son was in the bath, was dumping buckets full of water onto our, uh, onto our bathroom floor. It was about an inch deep all over the bathroom, going out the tile, onto the hardwood floor outside, right down through the kitchen, just water everywhere. So then I'm yelling at my son, I'm thinking we're getting towels, we're trying to get everything cleaned up. You know, the whole house is chaotic. And in the middle of it, my daughter comes in, she has my phone, and she has called my wife. And my wife is now on FaceTime. And for the moment, I was so mad at my daughter because I didn't want my wife to know. Uh, I wanted her to have this image that she could leave the house and I had it under control, that I was super dad, that I can handle all of this. And I thought, even in the midst of the mess, you know, just give me a little bit more time, give me a few more towels, let me get all this cleaned up, and we can make sure that she never knows how crazy it really was. 
Uh, we're in a series right now uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon that Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's maybe Jesus' clearest description of how he wants us to live, of how he wants us to live according to his kingdom, his eternal, uh, what he calls the blessed, the, the best way to live. Um, but last week we started talking about this idea that well, I believe that the way of Jesus, the way that he tells us to live, really is the best way to live. It's also a very counterintuitive, very countercultural, very upside-down way to live, especially compared to what we normally think of as the American dream. Because what the American dream says is like who the, the blessed people are, uh, who the happy people are, who the people that like should be revered are the people that look like they have it all together. Uh, the people that you know are upstairs and they just kind of have everything in order. But Jesus comes along and in the first of what he calls the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says blessed, happy, the, the people that God is really like looking down and that God can really do something with. The people that have the best chance of really experiencing the way that God wants us to flourish as human beings on this earth are the people that are, he calls, poor in spirit. The people that are needy. The people that are broken. The people that are sitting in chairs saying, I have a problem that I can't handle on my own. There's a phrase that sometimes people say about Christianity and religion, the idea that Christianity, you know, religion is just, it's just a crutch for the weak. And there's a part about that that just stings. Because like, I, I don't want to be seen as weak. Uh, I don't want to be seen as someone who needs a crutch. But Jesus comes along and says, you know, the people that are really going to best experience life on this earth the way I've created human beings to be are the people who can admit that they are weak. The people who absolutely say that I can't get through life unless I have a crutch. Jesus says the blessed people are the poor people. Uh, and this is part of that that I really love and understand. Uh, I've got a good amount of time in my life to spend some time around people that are living in poverty. Uh, for quite a few years, uh, Ashlyn and I got to go down to Mexico, and sometimes even a couple times a year, we would go down and we would build homes for people who needed a house. And uh, they were always living in what was called insecure housing. So sometimes they had a roof, and I remember we built a house for a family, and they had this like hut, you know, you know, sticks, you know, put together and it had this old blue tarp over it with holes on it. So every time it rained, things would just get soaked. Uh, I remember we built uh, a house for a family and they didn't have a door on the place where they were living. And so four times that year, they had been robbed of everything they had because they, and every night they went to bed scared because they just had no way to lock their doors. And so we would go and we would build them a house. And the way it would work is that the families, just because of their economic situation, had no ability to ever afford, you know, a good, secure house on their own. So they would have to go, and they would have to go to their local pastor and say, I can't do this on my own. Is there any way that you can help me get a house? And they would put them in the system, and then if they got chosen, then a team like ours would come down, and we would provide the, you know, the manpower and the money and the materials, and we would build them a house. And there's always a moment on the last day where we would have the ceremony, we would give them the keys to their house, and it was often very emotional for us and, and especially for the family. Because there's this real sense that they knew 
that they were getting something that there was no way. I mean, just it, 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 as hard as they were working, you know, you know, they, they can never save enough money. They can never work. There's no way that they could ever have a house like this left to their own. And so they just saw it with just such gratitude. I mean, it was just such a gift. And I have to imagine that every time they came in the house, you know, every time they showed one of their friends, there was just this feeling of gratitude of just how grateful they are that someone was able to make something possible for them that they can never make possible themselves. And it's such a dichotomy because I remember one of the years we were building a house uh, for a family in Mexico and at the same time, Ash and I were getting ready to buy our house here uh, in Albany. And when it came to buying my house, I had a sense of, yeah, I, I, I worked for this. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I went to, to college and I've had a job and we've been saving and like, this is something that like I'm grateful for, but it is something that I have earned. And I think that's part of what Jesus is talking about in this is that there's a certain level of, of gratitude that poor people get that when you're rich, you just don't. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, this is what uh, Jesus said. He says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is only with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's really tough if you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of resources to experience this God way of life. And, and part of it is that when you're rich, I mean, you, you just have resources. You, know, you have insurance, you have savings account, you have networks. And so when you have a problem, you know, you, you go, you take some money out of the mutual account, you know, you, you call your insurance broker, you call some friends and they come and help you. And then maybe if you really get in a pinch, then you ask for God. And when it comes to things that you buy, you have this feeling of, of personal ownership, like I earned it. But it was from spending some time uh, among the poor uh, in Mexico and Guatemala and other places that had this realization that we're really in the same story. And I, I remember being in Mexico once and I was looking at one of the families. There was a guy we built for, his name was Efren. And Efren worked two jobs. Uh, he worked at a factory making stuff that we all buy. And uh, when he wasn't working at the factory, he was driving a bus bringing other people to the factories to make stuff for us to buy. I thought, well, what if I was in Efren's shoes? Uh, well, what if I was born in Efren's family? And you know, what if I was raised in this neighborhood and I had the exact same opportunities? I mean, is there something about who I am that is just would earn more? You know, would, would have more ability than what Efren has? You know, would I, you know, somehow just make way more money and have way more opportunity to have education just because of who I am? And, oh, of course not. I mean, the only reason why I've had so many of the opportunities that I've had. Is, and maybe the opportunities that you've had is because I was just profoundly lucky and blessed to be born in America, to have the free education, uh, to have the opportunities for the jobs that I've had. And the truth is, is that Efren was very lucky to have his house because of his pastor, because of this team. And I'm very lucky. And I, there's no way that left my own devices and my own effort, I could ever earn all of this on my own. It's all a gift. But for Ephraim, being poor, it's a little bit easier maybe to see that. And for me, being rich, it takes me a little while longer to think and to realize just how grateful and lucky and privileged I am. And Jesus says that I need to get into that spirit. Uh, it's interesting, sometimes, 
when Jesus talks about this idea of poor and rich, and Jesus is going to talk about this a couple of different times in the Sermon on the Mount, so over the series. And sometimes people get really, really nervous when Jesus starts talking about that. It's like, hey, is Jesus, you know, some like crazy hippie who's going to tell me that I need to like get rid of all my money and I just need, you know, live this life of poverty? And good news, bad news, maybe. In this instance, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus is using this as more of a metaphor, saying that we don't maybe need to be physically poor. We need to be, we need to have the mindset. We need to have the, the heart. We need to be poor in spirit. Uh, the bad news, uh, or I think maybe the good news, later on in the sermon, I think Jesus is going to make a push that if you really want the American dream of having lots of stuff and lots of money, and that you're convinced that that's what's going to make you happy, then Jesus, I think, has some very countercultural, upside-down knowledge that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And Jesus says that he wants us to have a different mindset. He wants us to make our, our hope of just appreciation and be poor in spirit. Uh, but it's not just immaterial things that he wants us to have this feeling of gratefulness and that we didn't earn it. And it's also in just who we are on the inside and maybe the things that we've done wrong, uh, the things that we've just made mistakes of, uh, the, the sin in our life. Uh, I think it's easy sometimes for in church world for people to maybe look at people who come down and sit in aluminum chairs and are alcoholics or you know whatever else they're struggling with and they, you know those are the people that are really you know in need of putting their lives back together you know but those of us that are upstairs you know we we look like we have our lives together and so may, maybe we don't need as much forgiveness maybe we don't need as much grace you know maybe our, maybe we have ourselves a little bit more put together. And there can be a certain ego and pride about that, self-righteousness about that, which I just think God doesn't like at all. Uh, Jesus tells uh, a story uh, in uh, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, and this is what he says. He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Have you ever known any Christians that look down on other people, that thought of themselves as very righteous, but they look down at other people with judgment or with contempt. He said two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I mean, just look at how good I am, God. Like, God, aren't you so lucky that I am on your side? But the tax collector on the other side was standing far off. And he would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a old saying in AA that uh, the people in AA are like those that are on a, a great ship that is sinking. And if you can imagine being on an ocean liner out in the ocean that is going down and everyone in, 
everyone who's in the water at that point. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, you're just looking to get into a lifeboat. Uh, and for that matter, it doesn't even matter like how good of a swimmer you are. I mean, if you can doggy paddle for like 30 seconds, if that's what you can do, or if you're an Olympic swimmer and you could swim for miles, if you're in the middle of the ocean, you have no chance unless you are picked up by a lifeboat. Uh, the other thing that I love about AA is that those words that they say at the beginning of the meeting, there'll be some people there that, I mean, it's their first time. I mean, they, you know, they just, there's there's still alcohol in their breath. You know I mean? They're, they're, they're still right in the middle. You know, they're right at the beginning and saying those words, my name's John and I'm an alcoholic. And then there's someone else in the circle. And maybe 15 years sober, 20 years sober, 30 years sober, and they know that they need to be at that meeting, that they need to say those words, that I am still, after all this time, an alcoholic who is powerless to do this on my own, and we are all in the same camp. And Jesus says that as Christians, that's the view that we need to have, that it's not that there's worse sinners, it's not that there's worse sin, that just all of us on our own, all of us on our own merit, we can't do it. And we need to be poor in spirit. And part of why I think this is so important and why Jesus starts the sermon like this is this is really something that Jesus wants to change on us on the inside. Is he wants us to, as we view the material things that we have, he wants us to have the mindset of someone who is poor, someone who like, I don't deserve any of this. I'm just so lucky for everything we have. Because later on in the sermon, Jesus is going to talk about a way of being generous that really only makes sense if you view everything you have as a gift. Uh, later on in the sermon, Jesus is going to talk about a way that we are not supposed to judge other people. And the only way that you can live a life where you don't judge other people, where you just have incredible empathy for other people, where you just you know, can just commiserate with people of all different levels of sin, is if you can see that my sin is just as much as yours. All of us are in the same stinking ship and we're able to strip off that facade and say, I I'm not trying to act like I'm better than I really am. Uh, I wanna live in a world where there's just no pretense, where there's no lies. Hi, my name's John and I don't deserve the things that I have. Um, my name's John, uh, I'm a sinner. My name's John. Uh, I, sometimes I blow it as a dad. My name's John, and sometimes I can have an anger issue. Uh, hi, my name's John, and I am powerless to do life on my own. And my life has become unmanageable. And God, I need you. And body of Christ, other people, I need you, and I can't do this alone. And can you imagine the world that would be turned upside down if that's the world in which we lived our hearts? So let's take communion today as we ask God to make us poor in spirit and as we thank God that he loves us, not for what we pretend to be, but God knows everything about us. He knows what we don't deserve. He knows what we could accomplish on our own merit. He knows all the hidden things that maybe other folks don't. And he still loves us. And thank goodness. And let that gratitude just echo throughout every part of our body. So let's take communion together.
Take the bread. Let's take the juice. Let's pray. Uh, dear Jesus, we come to you just empty and broken and just so in need. Of, we can't do anything without you. And you love us. And you want to come and fill us up with your spirit. And so help us to live that life of just both being broken, but also just filled with your love and grace. Help us to live that in our whole families and communities and inner city. And help us to turn the world upside down. May we pray. Amen. Uh, before we go, uh, I'd like to play a, a song for you. This is a song that uh, my daughter actually introduced me to this week. And it just talks about this idea of how we all need to just drop our pretense and live lives that are showing our real selves and the need that we have and how God can work through that. And so as you listen to the song, uh, I want to encourage you to give a piece of paper, maybe take that out, uh, or if you have like a notes app on your phone, or maybe you can just do it to yourself. But just think about the ways that you fall short. Be able to be honest with yourself in the mirror. The truth about me is. Um, but then also just, just feel how much God loves you and how much he wants to work in us as we are poor in spirit. We love you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. Number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. No, I say I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, hey, I'm fine, but I'm It's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fault, there's no sin you don't already know, so let the truth be told. There's a sign on the door says come as you are but i doubt it because if we live like that was true every sunday morning pew would be crowded but didn't you say church should look more like a hospital a safe place for the sick the sinner and the scarred and the prodigals like me truth be told the truth is rarely told oh am i the only one who says i'm fine yeah i'm fine oh i'm fine hey i'm fine but i
control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. So let the truth be told.